This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 177, Felix Economakis on Hypnotic Responsibility. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Hello and welcome back for an incredible session here with Felix Economakis from over in the UK. And the theme here is that of hypnotic responsibility. Now, chances are you may have heard of Felix's work a little while ago as he's been achieving some outstanding press, some outstanding media for his work with Selective Eaters. And we're going to get onto the themes of the uh, four steps of his specific protocol and really a mindset towards personal change, which quite honestly, applies to practically anything else out there. Um, this was an introduction that was made by former guest on the program, Howard Cooper. And actually, if you head over to the show notes for this session over at worksmarthypnosis.com, you'll be able to learn about an upcoming training that uh, Felix is putting on, as well as a product that's coming your way too. something that I'm going to be jumping onto as soon as that's available. You know, of all things, this is one of those categories that does pop up from time to time. And, you know, the category of the client who is a rather picky eater, the assumption would be that maybe this is just children, maybe this is just young people, but I've had people ages, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old calling in, and even not from the perspective of a weight loss adjunct, just, hey, this is something I'm getting tired of, this is much more work than it needs to be, and it's about time I get over this thing. So once again, head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com for links to Felix's website, the upcoming training opportunities, as well as some interesting uh, videos and news articles there as well. While you're online, check out hypnoticworkers.com. Hypnotic Workers is the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library, techniques for change you won't find anywhere else, real client sessions that are fully detailed and transcribed, all designed to help you to build that unstoppable confidence as the new client is coming in, in terms of how you customize and help them achieve their goal. Once again, check that out, hypnoticworkers.com. And here we go. This is session number 177, Felix Economakis on Hypnotic Responsibility. Well, I actually started off training as a, as a counseling psychologist. And uh, along the way, I came across the work of Milton Erickson, but from a strategic, systemic point of view. So he, all, all the sort of um, things you do for clients using kind of paradoxical therapy. So as I, I was very intrigued by this, it was very clever. And as I read uh, books by Jay Haley about Milton Erickson, he kept talking about well, hypno, um, Erickson did hypnosis on this client, did hypnosis. I thought to myself, well, you know, I really admire Erickson, want to know of him. And if it's good enough for Erickson, it's surely <laughs> good enough for me. So um, I looked into hypnosis training. Uh, I started off doing a training with this uh, university, which is uh, I had to leave, actually. It was so dull and boring. Uh, <laughs> talk about making a fascinating subject dull. I had to leave it and start somewhere else. It's overly <laughs> academic. So I have and, to ask, what was, what was it about it that made it dull? What was it about it that made it not as effective for you? Well, um, it, there was just too much talk. And, you know, we're given just, just three inches of paper to get through, you know, studies and research and going through the, the, the Stanford Amford scale of this and that. I just thought, where's the demo of hypnosis and things like this? And, uh, you know, tell me more about the stuff on and out. I don't want to know every, every paper published about it. I, I kind of want to see in action. I want to 
you know, I understand. I want to explain in a, in a non, I mean, I kept looking at my watch every two seconds. That says yeah. something thinking, Oh my God, this day goes on forever. So, um, and, and then went to another Institute, which was far, far better. Uh, but even that looking back was very limited compared to what we can do now and what we know about hypnosis now. So, um, there's been a real evolution, I think for myself and as I, you know, see of other things, uh, and my, my colleagues as well, developing new approaches. So, um, and now I've actually come to the point where hypnosis is an option. I say to people, uh, those who are naturally prone to be hypnotized, if it's your go-to default state, fine, I explain that. But if you're not interested in being hypnotized, your system's not ready, that's fine too, because change can happen in any case, regardless. Though I'd imagine on some level you may be doing things that let's call out as being hypnotic in nature, though not necessarily formalized hypnosis. Well, that is also true. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. But in terms of formal, <laughs> at the end, close your eyes. I mean, I'm influencing and leading and persuading throughout the session. But the client has this idea that only in the last 15 minutes we're going to do the change work. And if they're scared, they have their eyes open. That, that's fine because they're already, we already ticked the boxes by this point. They're already sold on change. So it, it's more of a formality. It's for them to know, oh, we've done a change bit now. I mean, yeah. It's also for me to ask for a formal change from the system as well. But it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's accumulation of things leading up to that point. Yeah, so that initial training that I'm sure now this story leads to getting uh, education elsewhere, a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more demonstrational. Um, what, was that, what was that kind of spark in terms of getting this up in motion? Actually, let me rewind backwards. What was that mm. career path before that, if, if there was one? Well, there, there was one. I was a mature student. I, uh, I I did a degree. Then I took a year off. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, it was the middle of the Great Depression back then <laughs> in mm. the 90s. Um, and so I I, I, I I took a job in retail. And very quickly, I became a, a manager and then a, a manager of three stores. But um, that was actually very useful because I found selling um, was a very important skill, which I then applied in psychology. You know, and, and I say in my training, essentially, I'm selling change to, to a client. And when you sell to, to a client in retail, you've got to know your customer. You've got to know their needs. You've got to anticipate their um, concerns and objections and overcome them. Not, not in a trying to fool them way. I actually want my client to get the best product. But they might not be aware why paying more for a better product is actually better value down the line. Um, and I, I genuinely believe that. You know, I wouldn't sell them something just because I, you know, I, I wasn't on commission or anything. I genuinely mm -hmm. believed if I were in your shoes, I would go for this product. And I actually had a lot of success as a salesman because I think I was genuine and I was anticipating the customer's needs and trying to meet them. And I think that came across. So that was actually a really good skill to apply to therapy later on. Well, I'd say it's a theme that pops up here pretty frequently of, you know, eventually when we find ourselves learning hypnosis, the the mindset that, oh, I've already been doing this, but now I now I can do it on purpose. Now I can do it with better intention. Yeah. And so I, I think in a way, one thing's there's, there's a lot of things going on with, with my protocol, but one of the things I want to make clear is everyone's very overly eager to jump on the content side of things. You know, what's the induction? You know, what's the what's the new induction, the new technique? And it's not so much what you do, it's also how you do it. Um, I remember once because I'm Greek, I live in England and I, you know, worked in Europe. If you're, um, I also for a year, I was a, as a contracts negotiator for, for, a, for, for, for a travel um, company. So I was going to hotels and, uh, and managing contracts and things. Um, if you work in Spain or Italy, first the appointments are in the evening. You won't even talk about business for an hour. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll t build rapport, you'll talk about football, you'll talk about, you know, children, you'll talk about this and that. It's just bad manners to, to just, you know, talk about business. 
and eventually you start talking here or there. It's how it's done. You've got to, you've got to know how it's worked. But you have an American client, for instance, and within a minute, let's, you know, cut the chase and get the bottom line. You know, I guess there's, there's, there's time for that as well. So you've got to figure out if, if you have an American negotiator going in and say, come on, let, let's just meet and cut the chase. But you, you're kind of you, you haven't really won them over, you know. Um, and also, if but conversely, if you go to America and someone you know is busy and they, they want to talk about stuff and you're talking about you know your family and football and stuff, they're like, come on, I'm busy, you know, you, you'll lose them. So it, it's it's also about how you approach the deal and uh, how do you, where's your client coming from? What do you need to do to win them over? Um, and that applies in sales and and dating and um, therapy and pretty much everything. Um, I, I don't like the NLP way of, you know, tricking people, speed seduction and, you know, mm-hmm. just using an unethical way. So I, I genuinely mean empathy, understand your client and their needs. And if they're happy, you're happy. You know, that's the way I'm approaching it. I, I want a win-win situation. Something you've highlighted there that I really like, which that people often, if they hear this theme, they would think it's kind of cold or just kind of, mm. uh, you know, not what we'd like to call client-centered. Yet within any category, we can start to look for trends. We can mm. look for assumptions. Like I know working with picky eaters is one of your specialties. Mm. And going into that, while as much as you are customizing to the individual and responding to their specific needs, you're often going in, I'm sure, with some, let's call it safe assumptions and patterns that you've learned how to recognize over time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to be honest with you, I've shaved over an hour and a half from when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, because I'm, I'm quite fortunate that I'm quite busy. So I, uh, I have to refine and, and cut things down or I just don't have the energy or, or the time to see these people. So initially, you know, like a lot of people, when I first started out, I threw the kitchen sink at it. I overprepared. Yeah. Yeah, I put everything and I was exhausted. You know, if I did a two and a half hour session, I needed a break for two hours. You know, <laughs> it was so mentally taxing. And initially what I do is you know, I, I would ask a client and I'd wait for them to respond. And after a while, they all started saying the same things. So instead of waiting for them, I started leaving them. I'd say, yes. what would you say? For instance, most people would say this, and they'd nod their head. I think, okay, that saved me a little bit of time. And then I found, well, you know what? If I know what they're going to say by and large, I can lead them and check if that's okay. And most of the time it is. And then I can sort of make it quicker. So I'm leading client. I, I kind of anticipate that their response is quicker than they do because, as you said, you see patterns. So that can make things very quick. And at the same time, people think, wow, this guy really knows me, you know, and that builds credibility. It's like he really knows where I'm coming from. This is something that comes up in testimonials a lot. You know, Felix really understands this or, you know, it's, you know, this kind of idea. And that that helps rapport. And this is hugely important, Jason, this idea that if a person trusts you and I trust you, I'm in your hands. You can lead them anywhere, something quite challenging, and they'll still go with it. You know, this is good commanders in war. You know, you've got to lead your soldiers to, to war, potentially kill, killing them. But they say, you know, we trust our, our commander. Um, you know, um, you're getting them to, to do something against their basic instincts. Well, there's something you've highlighted there that, you know, I'd often teach how to guide people through a sales process of a new client on the phone. And it's not for the sake of, uh, you know, doing this for just the influence or the manipulation side of things, but it's just simply to point out, this is how we demonstrate that expertise, that they're calling for any specific issue. And if there's a way to, during that conversation, highlight 
that you've thought about this issue in a way that they haven't yet thought about the issue. So, you know, public speaking is the issue leading up to the presentation and then you're fine. Is it the shakiness during the presentation? Is it the anticipation that it's about time to get up and speak? Or is it that huge rush of adrenaline after you've gotten up to give that presentation? You know, the same way we can ask how many cigarettes are just kind of automatic in nature versus a conscious choice, which is driving them inside to find these answers. But accidentally, uh, politely, it's pointing out, oh, wow, this person has a level of expertise to this that I haven't yet thought of. And really, at that point, they officially become your client, in my experience. Yeah, yeah. And and they trust you. And that's hugely important. They don't particularly have to like you or anything, but they kind of think, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I'm, I'm in good hands. And I think once that box is, box is ticked, that's half the work done in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, good skills of empathy are important here, putting yourself in the client's shoes and anticipating because, you know, I've seen a lot of people and I'm, I'm another suit to them. Oh, I don't really wear suits, but they've seen psychologists, <laughs> psychiatrists, <laughs> they're more informal. They've seen a lot of people and you see them come in deflated and thinking, here we go again. He's going to lecture me on why this is silly, you know, like the food phobia stuff and mm. what I should do. And, and I don't. I do something different. And so you, you sort of see their interest, you know, I'm going to picking up a little bit going, huh? That's not how I thought the session would go. And I explain the problem and they go, yes, that's exactly why I'm doing this. And they sort of turn to their parents or their partner and start nodding and almost saying like, you see, you know, this is what I was saying. And suddenly I'm their hero because I've able to mind read and, and anticipate where they're coming from and explain it in a way that they couldn't. And, and this is suddenly the client, you know, is, is mine, is putting my hands. So that, that's the kind of idea. And that's a huge, huge skill that too many people are too eager to rush in and, you know, do a long hypnosis or a fancy induction. And the real skill is winning them over in that way. Um, and, and then going through a set, each of the objections of a part of the mind. So part of mind goes, okay, um, okay, you know your stuff, but, you know, I'm a really hard client. What if this doesn't work? Or what if this? Or what if that? And again, Jason, we know the patterns. You know, it's not the first time I've answered this question. I lead them through calmly through a set of replies until basically they have no, no objections. Go, fair enough. You know, I've run out of objections. Um, so are we ready to, to make the change now? Have I, have I covered everything? Is there anything else? No? Well, let's do it then. So um, it's just like selling something in a way. So um, that, that's, that's where, where it really came from, this idea. And it, it's fun to do because I enjoyed selling things to people. Um, I, I, I like a happy customer. I enjoy people um, having a need that I help clarify and then meeting that need and then going away feeling really good about it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's why I'm so enthusiastic about this job. And I'm sure you are from the way you're speaking as well. Um, that sense of being of assistance to people uh, is what drives this in a way. Um, and once that's in place, then it's leading them to, okay, now we've got that, let's make the change happen. Um, and, and, you know, to answer your earlier question, it's sort of where I get into this. Um, among my colleagues, a lot of my colleagues have started training people in their approaches. And um, a couple of them said, you know, what about yours? Or do you, do you want to do a workshop with me? And I always thought, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, this is my baby. You know, I've developed it for a while. It makes me special. You know, I'm, you know, this, and suddenly everyone's doing it. I'm not really special. Uh, but then I kind of thought, you know, as, as, as Bob said to me, Bob Burns, and I think, you know, he said, you know, other people are teaching the swan. But, you know, most people still come to me. I'm still the main person for it. 
And I think that's that's probably true. You know, people are still hopefully going to come to me and <laughs> abandoning droves and against the other people. Well, I'd say from the from the trainer perspective, we fall into that pattern that, you know, from this is at least my phrasing on it, that in a class, in a workshop or video project, it's my job to give you at times the insane level of thinking and detail behind what I do. And it's completely safe to do that. And there's no arrogance behind this next phrase that you can't do it the way that I do it because you shouldn't. It should be your own style, your own approach that we can still have the map, the the moving pieces of the procedure, yet it's how to the individual and then again from the individual to that client in front of them. That's where it's always still a different experience, even if it may be, let's call it protocol at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that that's what really convinced me. Like p- people can do the format, but – the real skill and wisdom and experience comes from being able to handle when it doesn't go according to plan what you say instead when they throw a curveball. Um, and, and, you know, I've answered everything. I don't think there's any new questions for, for a few years now. Um, I've, got a, I've got a reply for everything. So yeah. that's, that's the extra thing that I think, you know, marks out the, the trainer or the originator from anyone who just knows the words. Yeah. So walk me walk me through. Someone's in front of you now. And what is kind of that – that user experience, what is it that they can expect to go through as they're now working with you? Okay, as a, as a client, yeah? Yes. Rather than a trainee. Okay, so the first thing a person comes in, they're probably apprehensive. Um, you know, often people said in sleep last night because they're going to face their phobia, and they're wondering, will it work? You know, because it's a lot of money for them. And the first thing is, let's diffuse all those things. So uh, once they come in, I, I uh, ask a couple of questions, you know, do you find it okay? And then, you know, and then ask some things. And then I say, okay, I, I outline what we're going to do. Um, we're going to do three things today. They're all very easy. I'll guide you through each one. And it also, uh, sorry, it is me talking a lot today. And a lot of people are relieved because they actually hate talking. <laughs> They've been <laughs> talked out with a lot of therapy. So that's quite nice, especially for teenagers, especially boys. Um, I'm going to do most of the talking. Um, and then uh, then I mentioned, you know, this is a very simple process. Uh, we're just going to tick some boxes here. Uh, there's no pressure. Let's see how many boxes we tick. And I sort of, my main aim is to normalize, to validate, to take the pressure out, this idea that it's got to work today. I convert it away from a pass or fail into this is a process. It's about ticking boxes. It, it's about reframing things. So things, you know, the, the message I hammer in, this is simple. You can do it. Other people have done it younger than you. So you can do it. Um, your system understands it. I know what I'm doing. These are the messages I'm hammering in until a person feels like, okay, you know, mm. that's that's reassured me quite a lot. That's that's fascinating. I'm curious if you can get a little bit more specific around how it is that you address that, uh, the phrasing that it doesn't necessarily have to work today, but it will eventually work. Okay, so I mean, one of the things I might say when a person comes in is, um, you know, it's converting it from a pass or fail. So I say, okay, um, today we're going to talk about changing perceptions around food or spiders or cats and whatever. Now, perception doesn't sound like hard work. And I give examples of how we change perceptions in other areas of our life. So this is easy. You've done it already. So already Mm -hmm. there's a bit of, okay, you know, yeah, that seems simple. What else? Oh, we're just going to take boxes. You know, if we take 100% today, great, makes me look good. But if we take 70%, we could do half an hour on Skype. It's generally one session. Let's just see how well we do. Does that sound good to you? You know, so already it's the sense of, okay, you know, no pressure. Let's just see how we do because it, it's all a learning curve. And I want to convert it into that learning curve at all time. You know, it's failure because people get hung up about, you know, um, it, it's feedback. I mean, sorry, people get hung up about failure. You know, am I doing it right? 
Mm-hmm. What does that mean? You know, if you're playing a guitar the first session, you say, am I doing it right? You think, well, you're doing some things right. You're doing some other things you need to learn. But, you know, it's a work in progress. What I love about what you just said there, just to kind of jump in, is that people would often put that perception on hypnosis as being this unique little thing that, you know, and they'd label it as a resistance to hypnosis. And I love the metaphor of learning guitar, that if we're learning anything new, anything, we're going to be in the mindset of, am I doing this right? I mean, um, you know, I'm flying back from a convention the other day, and here's a person clearly going through the whole uh, pre-check security system for the first time and watching them going, wait, do I take off my shoes? Do I leave my belt on? That with anything, there's going to be that filter. So it's we as the practitioner who can pre-frame and turn that into an advantage rather than a weakness, uh, rather than label it as this is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, you know, from the client's they're coming in very anxious and thinking, basically, will this work for me? Am I doing it right? You know, they get they give themselves performance anxiety. And you are reframing it and saying, well, it's easy. Other people have done it. And there's no getting it right. There's just this. So follow the instructions. See how well we do. And it, it's, it's, again, that diffusing thing. So already the thing, they're getting away from that model into the let's see what happens. And, you know, I explain other things. I say when you learn to swim, you didn't wait, you know, you didn't learn to swim. Then you went in the swimming pool. You went in the swimming pool. You had no guarantees you learned to swim. You just assumed you'd learn because everyone else is doing it. And as you did it more, you got more confident along the way, right? So it's a learning curve. So I don't understand why everyone suddenly makes this, I've got to pass or fail. When it, when riding a bike or swimming or driving a car, you intuitively understood that you're learning and getting better as you do it, right? So you're always putting it back into a learning curve as a process because people think not in processes, but in terms of you know, normalizations like pass or fail. Um, it's black and white thinking. When we get emotional, we get scared. We've got to convert it back into a process at all times. So I do some stuff around that. And then I say, just before we get into therapy, let's spend five minutes talking about what's going on here. And then I, I, I use psychoeducation. I reframe it. And this is, builds a lot of rapport because people going, I never understood it that way before. And this is, again, when people start nodding to their husbands or wives or whatever. I'm going, yeah, that's why I'm doing it, you see. Mm. And it's really nice for parents to be present because, you know, parents will say to me, oh, he's just very difficult. I ask him to eat food, just lick it, and he won't. I'm saying, well, you don't really understand, you know, why he's doing it. As I explain it to a person, um, you know, one of the things I say to a person is I, I do my uh, – during part of I say, by the time you're eight or nine, you know, food uh, – and people ask you to eat food, by now your brain's – feeling a little bit like if someone asked me to eat gravel, you know, say, Felix, here's some gravel, you know, it's great for fiber. Go ahead, take a bite. I think they're crazy. I think, you know, what are you talking about? You know, it's not food, it's gravel. Oh, just lick it. If you don't like it, you can spit it out. I said, I don't even want to lick it because it's not food. And you see people laughing and shaking their heads and going, yes, that's exactly what I feel. And now I'm the hero. So it depends on the analogies and metaphors you use and explain it. When parents start thinking, oh my gosh, I've been really harsh. Johnny wasn't doing this to be difficult. He was actually petrified of this, has a phobia, and he's trying to avoid it. And, you know, you, you realize that the parents have got it wrong. They're not picky. They're not fussy. They're, they're phobic around this thing. You have aversion. So um, already I'm an advocate for them. So that's another thing that ticks a box for, you know, credibility and rapport and trusting me. And once I've got that, it takes about 10 minutes to do all this. Uh, we move on to the next stage, which I do kind of parts therapy. Now, there's parts therapy and parts therapy. I mean, the one I do, I've, I've trained in different models. This is a very quick version that does all the things very quickly um, because it's been refined over the years. 
Uh, I want to get a part on board. And I've developed a way of speaking in parts therapy that speaks directly to the part. And, you know, there's a lot of scope for creativity in this. You can have these kind of conversations and debates with the part while the person's listening. And I sort of speak on his behalf and on his behalf sometimes. So it's, qu- it's quite a lot of fun, you know. Um, so I'm wondering to give you an example. So, um, you know, th- this is this is something um, uh let, let's see, you know, I'm saying from your point of view, how do you feel about this part? You probably feel fed up or frustrated. You know, I'm leading again or angry. Yes. And, and now this part, if I were to ask this part, what are you trying to do for John? I think this part would say, well, I'm just trying to protect him. Right. Um, because, you know, when he was two years old, this happened and I, and I go along this way and I'm having this kind of conversations if thing, you know, couples therapy, but I'm speaking on behalf of a part. And, um, you know, people find it really interesting. It's very engaging because people like conversations, you know, that they used to, um, you know, um, it, it's what they like rather than, than abstract kind of cerebral concepts. They like to hear conversations uh, in, in action. So I'm having these conversations with a part and answering for it and anticipating things. So um, I, I, I do a bit of parts therapy. And then uh, the next day, by the way, so far I've done the four hours, I've done rapport. And parts therapy is a kind of reconciliation because I want people to reconcile so they work together. The next stage is responsibility uh, for change. So I, I do a kind of variation of a Dickens approach. Um, again, it's how it's how it's done as well to, to get a partner side and get it to realize um, why change is better than not changing. And um, uh, along the, I mean, there's a lot. I can spend an hour and just sort of <laughs> do so. And then towards once we've done all that, towards the end, the, the rewiring is the hypnosis bit. And I actually had to choose between: do I call it rewiring or rehearsing or replacing or what? But eventually, we settled for rewiring. And this is where we, we asked the system to make a formal change. And you know, this is a model, Jason. That I'm, it's the fame has come from you know dramatic changes in food stuff. But I do it for everything, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, Theme that's not so dramatic after one session. People can say, I feel great. I'm going to ask out a model. Um, it kind of, it's incremental, but the food stuff is very dramatic because, you know, you cannot even go near something, then you're eating it. Uh, shows you that a change has taken place. What I love about that is especially, and correct me, was the, the third step. I don't believe it was relearning. What is it that you called it? Um, so rapport, reconciliation, responsibility. There we and go. Yeah. yeah, what's great and, about that is that so often – you know, mm-hmm. we, we would have the expectation that I'm going to get someone in hypnosis, I'm going to do the change, and let's just use the category of parts therapy as you brought that up. And then, uh, you know, to quote some of the older texts in the field, to sit back and watch the miracle unfold, uh, that that category of responsibility is going to be a factor in practically everything that there still has to be some sort of action step. I would I would often oversimplify the entire profession that every hypnotic suggestion is a simple formula. It's an action followed by a result. So they still have to go out and do something. The fear of flying client still has to book the ticket to actually get on the plane. The phobic eater has to actually take that opportunity to do the actual action of eating the new thing. Uh, And I think that is brilliant uh, for the reason that it's one of those aspects that we have to get the conscious mind on board as much as the subconscious mind yes absolutely i mean the key to all change is actually taking personal responsibility you know the reason why the world is a mess is we're just not taking responsibility for the consequences of our actions so with a client even if it's a child the reason this works is the best kind of change is self-generated and all the while i'm using phrases and analogies to say 
you know, it's up to you to change. I've shown you how um, it'll do. And if the party wants to do it, then change will follow. It's never, I will really deeply hypnotize you, say magic words, and change will magically follow. All the while, it's make the client responsible. But it, it kind of makes them grow up a bit because they are expecting magic words sometimes. And all the while, I'm saying, well, it doesn't work that way. And, I, I, you know, this is where education comes into it. I say, listen, if I work with an overweight person, an overweight person desperately wants to be slimmer, yeah? But they're fed up. But being fed up is not enough. They'll complain and blame, but they won't necessarily change their food choices. The next thing they need to do is they need to know what they need to do instead that will actually work. But crucially, they need to take responsibility for that. You know, they can pay to go to the gym, but they need to actually turn up the gym yeah, or, or do whatever exercise. So it's still up to you. I'm going to take or help you to get rid of the blocks in the way, but you still got to do this. You know, there's no way around that. You know, um, if there's a debilitating block in the way that's stopping you, like I'm really embarrassed by turning up in the gym, I can help you with that. But you still got to go to the gym. You know, your personal trainer won't do your exercises for you. Mm-hmm. You've got to do them. And if you say, oh, well, I don't want to do chin-ups or press-ups, what do you want to do? I want to sit at home and watch TV. Well, then you won't get a change. Yeah. So we've got, to, we've got to explain this is how change happens. When you went to swim pool, you didn't magically learn to swim. You, you did the exercise. You got more confident, but you're in the swimming pool learning. And that's what we're doing here. So it's a more grown-up and mature and sober approach because – a lot of people are buying into super deep hypnosis and I'll change you magically and you'll ultimately you know, obey like a zombie. And that's setting people up for a lot of failure because people go, well, you know, I don't really feel like this is still hard work. I still got to apply myself. And I say, well, yeah, um, that's life. So it, it's, it's teaching clients um, how problems are solved and using analogies in other areas of their life, you know. Um, if it's a child, it's swimming, riding a bike. If it's an adult driving a car or doing something, you, you teach them the steps that were needed in that. And you say, well, these exact same steps apply here. Uh, we, we've got to stop looking for the shortcut because the ones who are looking for a shortcut don't do well. The ones who are prepared to do the work will always do well because it's more about psychoeducation, understanding and mentoring and teaching um, rather than that the hypnosis, you know, so people come in looking for a magic fix. And I say, well, what I'm really going to do is I'm going to explain things. I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to get rid of the blocks in the way, but then you've got to do it. Um, and that's why change, um, it's successful because the, 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 these are the elements of change work, you know, for any change to happen, this has to be in place. So you're, you're teaching people. And that's why um, the hypnosis bit at the end or whatever, the change bit, um, I'm supremely confident about because all throughout the session, I've said, you know, your system knows how to change. And if based on what we said, it, it wants to, then it will. And if it doesn't, then I guess it won't. Um, now it's up to it. So it's putting it always in the client's hands. So you can have your eyes open, you can have your eyes closed. Um, if your system's going to change, it will. Let's see what it does. Um, there's never a point of, I will do this stuff to you now and you will automatically change. And how soon, yeah, how soon into that initial inquiry is that dialogue popping up for you? Um, it, it's It's... In the whole, so a session, if, if I do the long form, takes about an hour. With a child, I'll cut that in half. So throughout it, it's, it's interwoven with, with certain messages. Some of them I mentioned, this is easy, this is simple, you've done it in other areas of your life. But the next thing is, um, it's up to you and it's up to that part. If the part has any questions, let me know. And if it's okay now, it will do it. Does it have anything else? 
And sometimes I say you still need to reassure a part of you just like you did when you learned to swim. Part of you is afraid and you thought, well, come on, everyone else is doing it. I'm sure we'll do it. You're still going to do that with a part of you. It's looking to you for reassurance and leadership. Um, and I know you're only 10 or 11 years old, but you've done it when you learn basketball or skateboarding or whatever. Whatever you're doing there, you've got to do with this part here. So again, you're sort of teaching them how this works. And make uh, really, I want to educate and self-empower people. So uh, I'm really getting away from my hypnotized people into like this is a global program for educating <laughs> and leading <laughs> of which you might be hypnotized along the way. Um, I'm really changing the way I, 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 I present that to a lot of people. On the forum I run, you know, has hypnosis worked? So well, it's not really hypnosis. A lot of people don't really hypnotize. It's not really coaching. It, it's, it's sort of facilitating, leading, reframing, clarifying. Um, but I don't really know what to call it. So um, uh, persuade, <laughs> influencing. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like I'm doing something underhand. That's the thing. Because, you know, right. know, he's going to influence me. He's going to make me do something I don't really want to eat or something like that. So, um I, I'm still trying to find a way of presenting it to younger people without them saying, you'll be in a chair and I'll make you, you know, eat something with magic hypnosis. Yeah. And the, it was, was that transition to now kind of theming around a different concept rather than the original come in for the hypnosis. Was that motivated by some sort of external force or just the discovery of, let's just call it, you know, unpacking what you've already been doing and realizing there's more to it than just this one element. It was a discovery. Um, I remember a, a lady, this was my sort of wake up moment. Um, so we, we did, we did a stuff. It came to the change bit and she said, Oh, I don't want to be hypnotized. I'm a bit of a control freak. So I thought to myself, well, I don't really know what else to do. You know, I, I, I just <laughs> used it. I don't want to start tapping or something. So I said, well, uh, I'm just going to go through it anyway. Uh, and basically I thought, and let's see what happens. And I think she wanted her eyes open as well. And I just spoke, you know, as, as if she were hypnotized. And that then she had a strawberry next to her, took it, started eating it. And I thought, well, you know, a system can say, I want to change, but I don't want to be hypnotized, but, but I want to change. And, you know, that makes sense, doesn't it, Jason? People don't mm. stop smoking, drinking, gabbing only by seeing a hypnotherapist. There's a change, a shift inside. So clearly change is possible with or without hypnosis. So why do us need to impose hypnosis if the system, you know, can change without it? So then I experimented a bit more, and I thought, you know, the results are the same whether hypnotized or not, to shift inside. So then that was a really good selling point. I was saying to people, you don't even have to be hypnotized. And people said, great, because my son, you know, really hates that being hypnotized. Or some people in America were saying, you know, for religious reasons, um, I can't do hypnosis. I said, sure, let's not do it. Um, so that, then it developed from there. And, um, you know, I've got to a point where, where I did a, a demonstration in Melbourne. I had two people. One wanted their eyes closed, and he was a trainer himself, uh, Lance, I don't you mind me saying. And he said, I'll close my eyes too. And I said, well, would you mind if you kept your eyes open, actually, because I want to do a contrast. So keep your eyes open throughout. Don't be hypnotized. And then he was eating food, you know, happily, and he keeps writing about it. So um, it's now been proven. Okay, I think, I, think, I think we're understanding how change works more and more. And because of that, you don't need a really long induction. You know, my, my hypnosis lead-in is about a paragraph. Mm -hmm. um into it so because i yeah if you're going to change you're going to change um and by now i think i've i've sold you or you're sold on change so i'm pretty confident you will if you, you don't we'll, we'll, we'll cover that you know those bases and cross that bridge so let's talk about the specific category of working with uh 
the selective eaters, the picky eaters. Uh, was that something that you went after intentionally or something you discovered that you had a strength with? No, like a lot of things in life, you fall into it. <laughs> There's no clear plan. Um, I was, uh, I, I had done a, pr- uh, a program here on BBC Three called Panic Room, which was um, mostly animal phobias. And a couple of years later, you know, someone saw that and said, would you like to work on this program called Freak Eaters? And I said, what is that? I never heard of it. I said it's to do with, uh, you know, people who have these uh, issues around food, pick eating and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know, if it sounds like a phobia and it quacks like a phobia, it probably is a phobia. So I, I treat like a phobia and had really good results. And then from that, people started calling me around the country once it went live. And again, I was doing two and a half hours in the beginning, throwing the kitchen sink. Um, and, and I was self-taught in a way, um, which is for me a really useful way because there's no theory leading it. It's purely based on feedback. And then, you know, as people mentioned it, the word of mouth reputation grew and, um, you know, I ended up seeing like a ton of people. So it it really developed that. But the great thing was there's never, you know, a constant stream of people to practice on. And, you know, this is the person with the strawberries who didn't want to be hypnotized. So that taught me a great thing. Um, for a while I played around with a swan, uh, with children, you know, for a bit of fun. I, I now do something else, but it, it's, it's a great learning curve for me. Allow me to, to ex- practice and experiment, uh, in different ways and, and always to be able to check the result immediately afterwards. So I know what's working, what's not and refine and cherry pick. So, um, you know, I was, I was immensely privileged or, or fortunate to get into something like that, which really just helped my learning, um, and take it to another level. So it was a television. So it was the opportunity to be on a television program that really helped to become that catalyst towards all this. Yeah, absolutely. And was that something? Was that something you had worked on substantially before that, or kind of going into that with the mindset of, well, this has to work. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, it's, it's like that. And I, I say, look, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's a it's a phobia. Um, and um, let's see what happens. And of, of course, in the program, they, they want you to do a bungee jump or, you know, go on a plane or something and somehow say, well, if you can do that, you can eat a tomato. And I was thinking, OK, you know, I don't really do this in my therapy room. But, you know, in, in between, I'd sort of do some some stuff. And, um, you know, very quickly, I started to see results. I remember with my first client, I kind of did parts therapy and he ate some broccoli and the producer came or whoever and said, um, would you mind not doing that? <laughs> because it's too early. <laughs> it's, uh, he said, you know, we, we want a bit of jeopardy here. We, 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 you know, we want to build up to it and, you know, get the expressions and all that. And if, if you sort of do, and the thing with my therapy is as Howard would say, it, it's very underwhelming with overwhelming results. You know, w- when I do it, it's just banal. It's conversational. And then someone's going, okay, I might as well eat it. There's no, you know, there's no Anthony Robbins stuff, you know, hyping up and music in the background and a big, you know, build up. It's just very banal. And so um, that doesn't make for good TV. So what I did is I waited for the bungee jumps and the plane skydiving and stuff like that. And then, you know, I would do something and people would start eating food. What I love about that is that so often when the measure of change is something not happening, mm. it's it's respectfully a bit of an underwhelming outcome. It's like, well, how did it go? Well, I've kind of fell asleep on the flight rather than sit there terrified. You know, the I, I've told the story before and the anecdote is that the more work we do, sometimes we know stories of other people. I heard Keith Livingston many years ago tell a story then finally it happened to me too so it's my story now too the the guy who calls up from the convention going yeah I was in the elevator and I was bored what does that mean it's like well congratulations that's how the rest of us feel in elevators where it's just a thing they know how to do now you know where there's some novelty to it there's some amusement to it but they just 
have that ability now to let go of this barrier and just simply move on yeah. with their life. Yeah. And that, that's it. I mean, you know, uh, I, I know I'm good at this, so I'm not looking for my ego to be stroked. You know, I, I say to people, the aim is to feel normal. And what does normal feel? I kind of feels normal. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, people come in and they kind of say, um, oh, if I could just eat chicken, I'd be amazed and say, okay. And at the end of it, they're eating like 10 things, including chicken. And instead of whooping there, I'm, okay, some people do break into tears and all their parents do. It's true. But a lot of them eat and go, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. It tastes a bit crunchy. I think, you know, an hour ago, you'd just be happy with chicken. You're trying 10 things, sometimes 20 things. And a couple of them you don't really like. And they're not going, oh, my God, I've eaten 20 foods. Um, but that's what normal behavior is, you know. So it, it's, it's very underwhelmed. They're just like, you know, the, the parents are often more surprised. They're going, oh, my God, you ate it. What does that feel like? And the kid kind of shrugs and going, it's okay, I guess. Yeah, but, but how do you feel? Yeah, all right. Yeah, do you, but, but do you feel amazing? Not really. I just feel okay. And, you know, you've got to get used to that because it's 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 just very normal, as I say. You know, when I eat food or swim or drive or stroke a cat, whatever, it's normal. You know, I don't punch the air. I just think, yeah, this is what people do, you know? And that's what we want our clients to do as well. We don't want them gushing. Um, we just want them to be like, yeah, you know, I've understood things differently. I've, I've kind of leveled up like in a video game. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of feel this way now about stuff. Are you doing anything specifically to inoculate the fact that there still will be foods that they don't enjoy? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, it, because it's about making things realistic. And, and then, then I say, well, you know, it's foods I don't enjoy. So um, now, now the thing is you still got to uh, use your taste buds. Your taste buds still have to adapt, but you have the opportunity to do that now. And on a spectrum, might be food you might like straight away, like you see on my videos. There might be food you might never like. like I hate awful. And there's foods in the middle. You, you need to try 5, 10, 15 times for those taste buds to adapt. And some you may not like, but when you don't like them, you calmly take them out and say, I don't really like that. Yeah. And so you, you kind of teach them how to cope with that. So again, responsibility. You're not going to love everything. I don't have that power. Um, it's, it's making it sober and realistic about this is what the work is now. Um, you still got to apply yourself. Um, and, you know, and people say to me on my forum, oh, I saw Felix a year ago, you know, but, but I'm, I haven't really had any new foods for the last month. And I was saying, you know, we all go through cycles. I go to the gym, but there's months where I can't be bothered to go. I just get bored and then I sort of miss it or get a bit fat and then I go again. You know, it, it's a recurring theme. You know, no one's always motivated about the thing. Um, you know, we go through cycles of uh, attraction and interest in stuff and losing interest and getting bored of something. The same with food. So again, you're teaching people to have realistic expectations um, about how a change works. That occasionally you've got to re-motivate yourself. You know, you've got to remember why you're doing this and you've got to plan and apply and, you know, learn some new stuff, uh, learn how to cook new food. Um, I can't really do that for you, but, you know, it's a natural process. So people, people have naive ideas about how therapy works. And as I said, they have these really stringent standards for therapy that they don't apply when they learn to skateboard or, you know, ride a bike or something. You, you got to teach them, well, it doesn't really work that way. This is how it works. But, but you know, in fairness, them, they get it. They, they realize, oh, I was hoping for this magic pill, magic one thing. Uh, no, not really. Um, the funny thing is, though, Jason, I'm sure you've seen it because I know how it has in other people. Those who come in prepared for hard work, it almost always seems like a magic wand because they're already in that right mindset where they're willing to put in the work, you know, and and because they're doing that, they're doing their part of the bargain. They, they just sail through it. Um, and that makes our job really easy, you know, when, when the client is good. And I'm trying to explain to people, not everyone is equal, um, you know. Some clients are harder work than others. So you can't really say does hypnosis work or not. 
Well, you know, even if my hypnosis is the same, or my, my format is the same for everybody, the clients are different. That's the variable. And, you know, some people are harder than others to treat with. So, um, you know, no, there's, a, there's a boy who's um, in a car driving by a lake, and there's a sign that said, don't, you know, frozen lake in America. And it's like, don't, don't go on it um, because it might be thin. And he had a vision of a car going through it. Then he kind of traumatized himself. And then he can be afraid of lakes. I mean, is this a boy who worries more, who'd be harder than your average boy? Yeah. You know, uh, this is a child who spooks themselves constantly about stuff. Uh, they, they need, they've got more work to do. So um, it, it's also teaching a person, uh, this is what change work entails. And I've got to get away from, I paid money, where's my magic fix? Right, yeah. Um, because a lot of people are selling that, unfortunately, either through ignorance or worse. Um, and it's really re-educating people. It's just not how change works. Well, there's something refreshing about that, that, you know, I, one of the themes as I work with people is that, you know, the one who comes in expecting it to be hard, often that's how it plays out. The one who's coming in expecting it to be easy. Um, I've rebuilt how my smokers see me that they watch an extended video on the website and then they book themselves and then I follow up to confirm the appointment. So that's a dynamic where I'm speaking with people after they've paid for the service. And there's a beautiful moment last week where I'm calling a guy up and, you know, it does ring back to the sales phrasing of uh, once you get the sale shut up that he's <laughs> he's saying are you concerned i mean i'm looking forward to stopping smoking next friday that's why i scheduled it's like well the website said i'd call you up just to check in and say hello oh yeah well i'm gonna bring my cigarettes to throw them out anything else which oh okay you see them where they are help them to get where they want to be that but then again there is that place of being open for that surprise that ease of it yeah yeah now i'll you kind of remind me, people say, look, you are my last hope. I've literally tried everything. And rather than putting pressure on myself, I say, listen, clearly this process works because six-year-olds can do it. So I know you can do it. If you follow instructions, you will get a result. Yeah? So follow the instructions. And if you're not getting the result, we'll check. Did you understand the instructions? Did something else come up? But you will get there if you keep doing what's needed. You know, again, you've got to teach them how it works and put responsibility back in them rather than I will fix you. I can't fix you. Let's, we just got to get away from that. You know, that that's, that's the, the, the big um, um, unhelpful thing that TV hypnosis or whatever has done is this idea that, you know, we fix people, we, we, we change them with these magic words. Um, and, and, you know, I think in stage hypnosis, it seems like that, but in, in therapy, um, if hypnosis had this power, I, I've had people deeply hypnotized who still didn't change. Yes. So it can't be yeah. about the hypnosis. And people who weren't hypnotized did a massive changes. So it's not the depth of hypnosis we're talking about. That 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 is the thing. Because people say it didn't really work very well for my son. Can we do hypnosis again? I say, well, it's not like if we go deeper, he'll do it this time. When a child's anxious, you know, they, they probably don't want to be hypnotized or relaxed or anything. Anyways, so it's it's not about overriding that with a sledgehammer. Um, it, it's more about the system understanding what needs to happen. Because if a person's anxious, they don't know how to reassure themselves. They, they've understood things differently. They don't reassure themselves through when it gets difficult. Uh, and then I use examples again, you know, of, of how they've reassured themselves through learning a sport or an exam or something that they have success in. So um, it's all about educating. This is how change takes place and getting away from can we do a deeper hypnosis next time? And I'm curious to ask, you've brought up several times a forum. Uh, what, what, what is the forum? Um, it, it is, I'm afraid, it's a selective eating disorder forum. I've got one for uh, adults and one for children. Um, it is private because um, 
people want to speak openly. They don't want therapists there observing. So I'm only letting in people with actual, you know, um, ARFID or selective eating problems. But I will have my own forum, the 4Rs training protocol. In fact, I've already got one on Facebook where we can speak about things like this openly because, you know, uh, clients like to open up. They don't feel like there's people there watching and analyzing. It makes them clam up a bit. But basically, you've created you've created some sort of ongoing support mechanism for your clients is what you're getting at. Definitely. And, and the good news is, you know, people say it's my second year since seeing Felix and, you know, I'm having Christmas lunch and whatever. So it's good to know, you know, because people say, well, does this wear off or something? And you've got longitudinal feedback. Um, sometimes people need refreshes. Sometimes people lose motivation, as I said, like me in the gym. So every kind of feedback um, is, that's available is presented. And that's good because, you know, I'm, I'm not hiding anything. This is how change work works. Some people, they need more input. Some people, um, they're fine after two years, 10 years. So um, I, I'm not trying to hide anything. You always explain to people, people are people. People respond to therapy in different ways. And this is the spectrum of, of possibilities um, with it. And it educates them. But, you know, despite what I say, Jason, I saw Felix uh, I ate something that session. A week later, I'm really not. Uh, has anyone tried anything else? It's a bit like, you know, I went to the gym a few times. I lost some weight, but then I stopped going and the weight's back on. What else shall I try? Um, well, you don't really go to the gym once or twice. You know, you, you've got to keep going at it until the body makes some kind of, you know, a change that you can then maintain. So um, it, it's that view of I paid money, where's my fix? Right. Rather than take right. responsibilities. Those are my worst clients. The people that despite I'm saying it in at least four or five different ways in the session, they still think I paid money, change me, even though I want to keep my eyes open, I'm reluctant, don't really think it will work anyway. Where's my magic fix? Um, those are my least preferred clients, obviously, and I'm not sure I'm not alone. Um, they want everything while offering nothing. I share what I'd highlight here is that theme of, again, that responsibility within the client that, you know, we're looking at using, if we're going to be using a hypnotic context, using the hypnosis as the catalyst to get the change in motion, yet then here's the thing that they're doing to, to, to keep that in place. And this idea of ongoing support, whether it's a forum, whether it's teaching them specific techniques, that place that, uh, you know, they're going to run into things that, again, back to the theme that foods they won't like. Uh, my, my quick anecdote of that is that I lost rapport with a parent many years ago, but made instant rapport with the child when I admitted, well, my opinion is mushrooms are disgusting and you can't argue with me on that. And the little girl's in front of me two weeks later going, I'm better at this than you are because I tried mushrooms and I like them. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people where can people learn at learn more about your work? Well, um, so there's two options. One is I'm rolling out a live training, so it's you know it's see me in action with with a client, a couple of clients from the forum as volunteers. And then the useful thing about that is um, you can ask questions about any part of the process. It can be very customized. You can say to me, I, I do a lot of work with. Uh, you know, this kind of anxiety disorder, what would you do for that? And I can talk about more detail. Um, and then if you can't make the live training, there's also this pre-recorded uh, video of um, a couple of clients I saw um, back in March. And, um, you know, in the future, there might be some kind of teleseminar webinar or something like that. But there is a four hours pro training site. Uh, one is on Facebook and one is just on WordPress. So if you do a search for four hours, I'm sure you'll find it. And, um, let me know if there's any questions about that. But uh, it's it's an exciting time to be finding, you know, showing people my stuff. Um, and, um, you know, it's this kind of exciting opportunity to sort of take it out there and, and maybe, you know, do some of the routes people do, hypnothoughts or, you know, Holland or, 
you know, stuff like that. It's, it's an exciting change as well. It's time for me to teach what I know, um, just as I've benefited from others. You know, it's kind of my turn uh, to do that. Um, input, contribute to part of the greater learning process as well. Because I've, yeah, I've learned a lot from other people and it's time to pay it back as well. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for sharing this session on your social media streams, for leaving your positive reviews online as well. And once again, check out the show notes for this session for the details on Felix's upcoming trainings and amazing news stories. And once again, also check out hypnoticworkers.com. It's the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library. Get started the day for just $47. Hypnoticworkers.com. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.